My best learning experience was definitely writing and publishing a book with my friend. The reason is, is because I felt way more proud of it as it was all done from our minds and even better that it was done in a partnership way. It was, it was also great fun as I got to do it with my friend. We could work together and think of great ideas with both minds. It also felt really different from when we used to do it in class. And a great highlight would be sharing our book sharing our book with the other classes, sharing our experience about writing and publishing a book with a friend. Welcome to this special series on learner agency, a defining feature in the emerging future of schools. I'm your host, Luca Parry, and in this collaboration between The Learning Future and the Association of Independent Schools of South Australia, we orbit 10 lessons shared by global education expert, Charlie Leadbeater. This is episode four, Students Bring Agency to Life. And so Charlie, I'd love you to anchor us and our conversation in this idea. What do we mean by students bring agency to life? Well, what I mean by students bringing agency to life is is simply something that I noticed the schools involved in this lab talking about, which was that when um, agency got into the hands of students, it became much more dynamic and creative, I suppose, and that agency is not something you can deliver to people like a pizza. Um, It's something that they have to do themselves and they do with other people. So it's a dynamic and relational thing. And what when agency happens and it takes off, it's because the relationship between teachers and pupils, but among pupils as well, becomes more dynamic. Um, so I think there are three different aspects to that, that that I saw. The first was that often it gets started when teachers listen to students and listen to students telling them what's not working about the way they're learning at the moment. So students are telling us about mispotential if we can listen to them. So it's not necessarily the students who do well who we need to listen to, but those who don't really fit with the systems that we run, they're sort of anomalous. They're bright, they're creative, they're curious, they can do lots of things, but they don't quite fit into the systems that we've designed. And so one of the stories of all paradigms and when they shift is that it's the things that don't add up that don't fit, that tell you how things might change. Mm -hmm. So these students are not rebellious. They're actually really committed and interested, but they're telling us something about what we're missing. The second thing is, um, I think in a lot of schools, there was this very strong sense that the students, once once they got hold of the idea, were able to do more with it than the teachers often realized was possible. Um, I remember one school, telling me about a a teacher who said that when um, this approach to agency had been introduced, he felt kind of robbed. And he felt robbed of a sort of aha moment when he would explain something and a student would get it. Then went into a much more project-based kind of approach to learning, more creative, more engaged, more relational. And two weeks later came back and said, "I, I get it now because actually I could see wow. that the students were able to make more of this than I realized. And it's about unlocking them as protagonists in the relationship. And so the third thing that I think schools do 
is that they create things, language, uh, forms of assessment, approaches to learning, um, ways of doing work, which sort of sit between the teacher and the student. So they're not owned by either, but both can contribute to in a different kind of way. And it's those sort of almost transitional kind of objects that both the student and the teacher can contribute to and feel part of that really makes it work. So that's what I mean by bringing it to life without the students really engaging with it, opening it out, giving it passion, energy, commitment, unfolding what's possible, then it can be just a sort of new way to do an old thing. It becomes just another program or another lesson or another skill to be imparted. But when it's done in that dynamic way, then it has real sort of generative potential. I'm really taken, Charlie, by the reflection here. I mean, the part of the story that you told uh, really about the role of the educator in this, you know, and, and this being our fourth lesson, we've already spoken about learning on purpose, capabilities and agency and agency is philosophy, product and practice. And uh, so I, I, I'm curious about this idea of shifting power. And that in some ways is difficult for us as educators because we have to let go of a previous conception of how teaching must be. What do you think in terms of this idea of really shifting power towards students and then they surprise us because we've actually allowed them to become creators of their own learning. Like what's what is the kind of what's your reflection on how that happens? Um, that often teachers are quite resistant to it because the model that we have means that students in some ways can't fully be trusted or they're not sort of fully developed to take on that power. And as a result, chaos may let loose and you know, <laughs> we lose structure and we lose a kind of sense of purpose and so on and so forth. And so it really matters how it's done. Mm. And what's really important about these schools is they do it very skillfully and thoughtfully. So it's not just about handing over choice or, you know, let a thousand flowers bloom or mm. what have you. It's done in a structured, thoughtful, careful kind of way. And it's not about the teachers retreating. It's not about them disappearing. It's not about them absenting themselves. It's about creating a structure and a framework and a language within which the students can start making their contributions and start going in different directions and start breathing new life into it. So it's about trust and it's also about seeing that students, uh, students, seeing that students want to use that kind of opportunity and power responsibly, that they're reflective, they're committed, they want to do good work um, and uh, as a result can be trusted. And when that trust builds up, then all sorts of new things become possible. Charlie, uh, some very vigorous nods from the three wonderful practitioners we have here in the studio with us today. And so to couple some of these, these contributions with the lived experiences, I'd love to invite you know, the three practitioners here to introduce themselves and, and their work as we delve into this conversation further. My name is Aaron Madagafola and I'm a teacher at Bethany Christian School, which is an ELC through to Year 6 school in Adelaide, South Australia. Uh, I teach media arts to the Year 3s to 6s and head up a range of events, coordinate school assemblies and work with students who run a student-led media team. Great to have you here, Aaron. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Nadia Lovett. I am a school counsellor and wellbeing coordinator at University of Sydney College, which is a senior secondary school. So 15-year-olds to about 18-year-olds. 
and they're in a school that is part of the University of Adelaide. So they're in that campus and there's about 450, 450, 500 students. Thank you, Nadia. Great to have you with us. And I'm Renee Werner. I'm the learning and teaching coach from Calvary Lutheran Primary School, which is a primary school in the southern suburbs of Adelaide of about 250 students. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. So let's start with you, Renee. Take us into this journey that you've been on and and as part of that journey, the idea of students bringing that sense of agency to life. So being part of the student agency project was like a three-year project, but really students bringing agency to life really happened for us probably about halfway through last year, so halfway through the project. And there were probably two things that really stood out for us. So the first one was where we were about capturing the student perspectives on their understanding of agency at Calgary. What did agency mean for them and like for them at Calgary? And involved them coming up with their definition. So their definition of student agency, um, which was around independently thinking and shaping themselves through goal setting. So the focus was very much around the goal setting. Um, the, The second sort of starting point was also just having a student who was struggling in his new classroom environment at the beginning of this year and him coming and speaking to me about his struggles and it wasn't having a wind or a gripe, it was him talking about what he needed as a learner and what he needed from his learning environment. So, and it was using the language that we've been talking about. So they were the two starting points for us. Fantastic. Give us a bit of a sense of the journey since that point in time. Uh, And again, that aligns beautifully, Charlie, with what you've shared as well. When, you know, students are advocating for a, a different kind of learning, where has that journey taken you so far, Renee? So we've really focused on buying, developing case studies to be able to share with our staff. So that students, you know, come to, they come to me because they see me as the person that they come and talk to about student agency. Right. So they come to me and share things that are happening. We've developed a series of case studies which we've then shared with staff and that has been really powerful mm-hmm. um, to, for them to hear what the students are saying and to the room reflect on their practice and what are they doing in their classroom environment to be able to enhance the agency for our learners. I love it. I love this idea of students as advocates for the learning they want. And uh, to your point as well, Charlie, how do we do deep listening and actually create the structures and and the ability to do that and then communicate that through case studies in this case. I love that, Renee. Thank you so much. Nadia, take us into the the journey of USC University Senior College. Where'd you start? Well, the school would have thought that, that we do quite agency quite well being a part of um, a senior secondary, part of a university set up where there is a lot of choice. There's choice in timetable, choice in spare time. There's decision-making in uh, subject areas and how projects are done in each curriculum area. But if on reflection of the whole journey, that is very much the beginning of it is very much teacher, staff, education department, SACE, which is our board directed. So there's still a lot of direction. Mm. However, um, what the exciting thing is, and when I ever go to these meetings, I go, we have at least three meetings a week with interesting, interested students on various topics. They... I get so energised, it, it just, um, they get energised, I get energised about where this is moving. Um, last year, 
uh, even though we had COVID, it began with some new year 10, say, I'm giving an example of a project mm. where Adelaide and uh, country South Australia was had issues around bushfires. So that was the current events caused impetus for different projects. Right. And we had 80 kids, students working out what they would do to make a difference in the people's lives who are affected by bushfires. So they led quite a range of activities that some were completed, some not complete with COVID. But for me and for the students now, we have moved so much further. And what really struck me about what you said, Charles, is the trust and the letting go and uh, just the dynamics of um, some groups of students who come in and out of various groups. Some are, we've got groups who are run debating, run photography, mm. some student voice. We have students who, because there's been issues around sexual consent, so we have had students take on that and have developed policy writing, wow. have developed uh, guidelines of how to treat people of different gender, have are now creating with, with me and with outside agencies curriculum materials and activities. And that's so exciting. They are so excited and they say, this is what, you know, this is what excites me about coming to school. And another student with the Afghanistan crisis, we worked out how many Afghan students and they have created a project that is still going that based, they based on three goals of uh, gathering funds, um, informing others and making change. So they, they are continuing to do different projects that involve MPs, that involve the school community and a wider range, far bigger than uh -huh. I would have ever committed to. I do have some staff who are worried about things like that and I think it's the letting go and, um, and but the, the exciting thing is now there are staff who want to come in and want to be part of seeing how the process goes. And I think what works for me with them and the groups that come in and out is the relationship building, how relationships are developed within between the staff members and the students, how much active listening is involved yeah. and just how much, how respectful those relationships are got. And, and the commitment is amazing. Well, I just, some wonderful examples there, uh, Nadia, the idea of the student energy. I mean, imagine that a, an adolescent deeply excited to be involved in a learning program. I mean, that, I mean, that really is what we're all here talking about. So thank you. Um, Aaron, let's hear from you as well, a bit about the journey and where you started. I think uh, our journey started really with a conversation and that conversation was around uh, an event that our school had had for a very long time, which was end of year concert. Uh, over years, we developed it. It, it uh, went from being like a pre-made concert to actually be, or musical to being something that we created. And it was very much staff driven. Uh, we. Uh, came up with the content, came up with the creativity that was around that, and then involved students in what we were doing. And so it was at a point where we were, I was thinking, how do we improve what we are currently doing? Uh, again, how do we iterate what we've been doing? And so uh, there was, um, I teach media arts, and so I had the privilege of teaching students from years three to six. 
And so for all of those students who would normally be involved in this, uh, we had this conversation and asked for feedback on what that experience was like. And then also to add to that, uh, what they would do to improve it. And so as we spoke and gave them the opportunity, uh, we heard lots of different things come back, which were, you know, there were some positives, but there were also some negatives. And uh, there were uh, the ideas that they came up with, uh, as I started to look through them, there was so much creativity there and so much variety. And it was, instead of, a, in my mind, it wasn't just something that would improve what we currently had, it would be something that could possibly replace it. And so uh, following that, we had a staff meeting where a number of students came and shared what they were thinking about. Uh, and our principal was really open to that happening. So that was fantastic that we'd have that as a part of our staff meeting. And it changed the dynamic of the room. Students were sharing um, what they were thinking. Uh, following that meeting, we had uh, meetings that followed just with staff and conversations happened. We were talking about, it was very challenging to hear some of the feedback because it sort of, kind of was confronting in a way where it said something needed to change. And uh, as we sat there and, and wondered about what that could be and how we could move forward, there were uh, some voices that were saying that it was probably premature to move in this direction. Um, there were others that were saying, it, you know, we could do this, but I think that it might fail. And so I was in the meeting and, and I didn't want to, to try and drive it in the direction. I wanted to sit back and, 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 and let the conversation happen because it wasn't going to, I didn't want to be the person necessarily leading this. <laughs> and so uh, as the conversation went on uh, and that comment was made about failing, I just recall that we'd been doing some professional development around uh, design thinking. And part of that process is prototyping things too mm -hmm. and, and being willing to fail to actually innovate and to create something. And so it was at a point in the meeting where I thought now I need to say something and I said, uh, we, we asked students moving through this process and, and asked them to try things and to be willing to fail. And I said, is that something that we are willing to do ourselves? And, and kind of left it at that. And then there were a, a number of voices um, that spoke up. And at the end of that meeting, it was like a tipping point. I thought, I was like, I know that students really want this to happen, this change to happen, but I feel like this could either this is a point now where it could happen or it could just there'd be a brick wall this thing could just stop and as it turned out uh some voices spoke up and then the consensus was we'll do this and so following on from that uh we looked at what that would because we normally put preparation into something that we do anyway and so we thought why don't we dedicate an afternoon a week for say like an eight week period roughly around that number uh, where students work on the things that they want to do and uh, the ideas were not like, I think students should do this because we think it's a great idea. It's actually yeah. the ideas and the groups that eventually uh, became reality were from the ideas that they presented in the first place, their creativity. And so uh, groups uh, such as uh, cooking and catering groups, a visual arts group, a fashion designers group, an animal carers group, a music group, which included composers, musicians, singers, songwriters and DJs a filmmaking photography group, a dance and choreography group, a programming group, a design and building group, and to top it off, a group um, that assembled who wanted to take care of organising the festival and developing a website to promote the festival. And so all of these grand ideas, right. you know, they, they started off as ideas, but then to see them actually become tangible and to see it happen mm. was so exciting. Oh, that's fantastic, Aaron. I mean, Charlie, I want to turn to you here. I mean, we spoke already in earlier lessons about, you know, student voice, student choice, student agency, ownership, authorship, wonderful examples of students bringing this to life. What are your reflections? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm three, I suppose. The first is um, how often in these conversations there is a moment like the moment that Aaron's talked about or, or Nadia's talked about as well. And Renee, Renee talked about with that student listening to, to what they were telling, which are sort of like threshold moments. There's a sort of a, a door opens and you can choose whether to step into it or not. And it, it's a little bit scary, but there's a threshold and um, you have to know um, that you're confident in doing that and in different ways. I mean, when Aaron's talking about using that analogy of design thinking and you know, prototyping, iterating failure, that's an encouraging to, to step into. So the second thing is then I think what I've, I've heard from the schools is there is, uh, I think everyone's talked about this, there's a sort of um, series of steps or spectrum. You know, that's, first of all, there's getting feedback then there might be providing choice, then there might be having conversations, then there might be, you know, more self-directed, you know, kind of, you know, it sort of expands and you don't go in one step. You know, you don't go from A to Z, you go from A to B to C. And it's the sort of building that up. And then, then I think this really important third thing, this question of identity and teachers, you know, this sort of sense of when we, when we say letting go, what, what do we mean by letting go? Um, and I think what we mean is letting go of an identity um, because actually we're not letting go of responsibility for learning or letting go of skills or letting go of insight. We don't want teachers to just walk out of the room. We want them to be there, but to be there in a completely different kind of way. Um, so there is some description of a different kind of professional role here, it seems to me, which is deeply engaged, actively listening, using professional skills to help design learning, to prompt learning, to be there in a supportive fashion, to, to, but to be there in a different way. So the letting go is not letting go of control. Um, I mean, to some extent it is. It's letting go of a sense of identity that this is what I do and this is how I feel in control to engaging in a different kind of way. And it's the sort of building up of that. And so this sense of this dynamic relationship that what's possible for the students can only be made possible if the, the, the teachers want to adapt as well. And both sides are creating a new identity. And so then in the middle, I come back to this thing, but in the middle, then you have to create a language which isn't owned entirely by the school or the teachers. It has to be a language that the students feel that they can appropriate and use and kind of feed into, that they're not just using the language and categories that we Absol absolutely and that even the the word agency i think is a bit loaded and i think you spoke to this renee you know agency to young people may not have any real meaning uh and so the idea of taking everybody on a journey and putting something in the middle what reflections uh, just in uh charles what you said um made me think of some groups of students i work with and talking to them of models of change how change works and understanding um, that when working with others who may not be on the same journey with you, it does, change doesn't happen straight away. So how can we be patient? How do we work with people who have a different understanding and different perspective than we have? So we as a group discussed, okay, we're not getting the responses we want from our wider community just yet. 
what do we need to do? How do we sit back? How do we give a little bit, pose different questions to allow people to, mm. to feel more comfortable of and more trusting on the process that, you know, you, work, you are working in partnership with young people who are very intelligent and very creative but together we're trying to make change and people may not necessarily be there yet. So bringing them along in a respectful fashion. So often there's those intellectual conversations mm. that are happening along the side of any agency because frustration or whatever is just part of it. You know, things don't always <laughs> go your way. What? Really? Oh, absolutely. I think, uh, I think that is probably something we could say definitively about the future. It's uncertain and it's complex and it's ambiguous. Let's let's continue on this theme because that seems to be the challenge. And, Ch and Charlie, you've really grounded us in this idea of how do we change our identity as educators? And it seems to be one of the big obstacles for all of us. And we have to include ourselves in this, not pointing fingers. It's, it's very difficult for us to let go of who we think ourselves to be and the role that a teacher must play. And, and, I, and I think what we're hearing is that students – talking to teachers and being being allowed to be heard is part of that shift because then you listen to them. But Renee and Aaron and Nadia as well, I'd love you to just identify a challenge because it's true. It doesn't always go as planned. It's scary. Trust means that maybe things won't work out the way we planned, in fact. But that also the idea of productive struggle we've, we've mentioned as well in the past. What's been a challenge you've encountered? So going back to that student that I was talking about who came and shared his struggle in the as a learner and in his new classroom environment. And once he shared it with me, I said, well, that's great, but I'm not your classroom teacher and I'm not yeah. going to bring around, be able to bring that change that you need. And so what do you need to do? He said, you need to go and have a conversation with my teacher. I said, absolutely. And he asked me to come. He said, can you come with me? I said, sure. And I was so excited about this because he had articulated himself as a learner and what he needed beautifully. It was so exciting. So we set up this meeting and I was, pumped ready to go and this is going to be great and it didn't go that great <laughs> and he was the student was providing really and in, in a really respectful way as well providing really valuable feedback and being a really creative critic as well around his around the learning environment and him as a learner but you could see how incredibly confronting it was for the teacher and he was so incredibly uncomfortable right and was really brick walling everything that was being said. And you could see the student as well just deflate. Mm. And I was like, ah, after having, you know, after him being really excited and being heard, he felt like he was being heard. And then all of a sudden he was back to not being heard. But in that moment as well, it was that realization for me that we hadn't done enough in that space of building that trust between the teachers and the students. So you know, I've probably gone a little bit early with it, but that was a student of enthusiasm and I wanted our students to have that experience. But I just think that, that that was quite challenging, but there was also a really big learning moment for us as a school. Mm, that's, that's a really compelling story, isn't it? Um, yeah, and just how important it is for all the human beings to be heard. You know, it's really one of the foundational parts of a functioning culture, I think. Aaron, what about your challenge? I think... So uh, continuing on from the story, we, so we set up those groups and then we worked for eight weeks, working towards what was a concept that had now become a festival. And so 
teachers were working with students from not just from their class, they were working with students who were, they were interest groups, but they were students from years three to six within a group, ah. not all working in age groups, they were working ah, across. Okay. And so uh, that was a real challenge. And then to have an event at the end of the year where they weren't, you know, where it was students were getting congratulated for individually for the stuff that they had created, that was a really different experience. But through that and other iterations of that festival, and that kind of work, that continual continual question of what is my role came up, and it wasn't really. It didn't seem to get established. No matter how much work we sort of went through, it sort of seemed like confusing for a lot of people. What do I? How do I actually fit in this? And I was sitting in a meeting, and we were like around the table, just trying to work out what is the role of a teacher. And I was sitting there, and I was like praying, God, what is our role in all of this? And then this thought came to me that. A teacher's role could be likened to the role of a belayer in rock climbing. And that's that's the imagery that came to me oh, and, and the thought. And as you think about a belayer, a belayer makes sure, and if you can sort of see the parallels between this and teaching, is that a belayer makes sure the climbers properly tied in and they're secured before they begin their ascent. So it's not our ascent, it's their ascent. During the climb, the belayer yells out small hints at key moments or step-by-step instructions, and that's all dependent on the ability of the climber. And they usually give those instructions when the climber gets stuck to help them get unstuck. So, and picking those moments. And they have a different view, so they're able to give that kind of advice. And then uh, to help the climber from hitting the ground or coming to harm after slipping, uh, they're there to help them when that, when that happens. There's some things that are in place to make sure that they don't get hurt in the process, mm. <laughs> thinking back to that word responsibility. Uh, when the climbers reach their goal, a belayer is usually the first, the first one to praise them and congratulate them. And then when they, the belayer is actually a partner with the climber. So that's the relationship is actually a partnership and who in turn can be a belayer for them. So I think sometimes we think we're just the person that can support, but sometimes it's a two-way street and that relationship. And uh, then just to go on from that, there's in my research, I found there's some seven key attributes that a belayer has that they're educated, that they're attentive, that they're focused, they're involved, aware, organized, and they're a team player. And then the whole thing with it being a team player is that they care more about the success of the other team members than their own success. Mm. I sort of think about that. I think if I want to think about my own attributes as a teacher, I would love for that to be said of me. So thinking about the challenge of what is an old teacher, that's wow. something that we've yeah, That's on. such a powerful metaphor. Aaron. I don't know if you're, are you a climber? Uh, Back in the day, I may have done some indoor rock climbing, but yeah. <laughs> it's such a powerful <laughs> metaphor. And then, of course, how do we how do we allow the students to be the belayer for us? I mean, that's that's a real shift in power, and that scares me even just thinking of that conceptually. Um, Charlie, do you want to input here? Because that's just there's some really great insights from well, the team. Two, two things. Firstly, that is a brilliant metaphor. Um, and one of the things that I think has happened with the schools is um, they've become incredibly sort of fertile and productive in their metaphors to, to shape the story of what it is and to convey it. And uh, Bethany's come up with several metaphors, but I do love that Belaya metaphor. And <clears throat> there is something there, isn't there, about sort of who, who gets centred and mm. sort of decentering the teacher to some extent, but being comfortable with that mm. and not being fragile about it. So then uh, I was listening to Renee, I was thinking there is something about productive discomfort, isn't there? 
which is when is a sense of discomfort productive because it leads to something else and when how do, how do you cope with that and distinguish it from discomfort which is simply annoying or frictional or or what have you but there are points of disc productive discomfort and it is that threshold moment do i do i take you know do i take yeah. that step that's uncertain um so and i think there's you know there's that sort of honesty about the description of that conversation with that student and that teacher that is deeply authentic and you know you have to go through it you can't just manufacture that you can't just um you know create a create a kind of product for it it's something that has to be gone through together to get out the other side charlie there seems to be this this bit around you know the surprising nature sometimes when you when you do trust things can surprise you because you've no longer it's so the expectation set is kind of blown open a bit um so Nadia, just to you, is there a moment that surprised you, and then and where do you see this work going from here? Uh, there's been many moments that surprised me. Um, uh, recently, it was on the we had a group called Action for Afghanistan, and they, you know, they connected with the Afghan community in South Australia and in Afghanistan, and we had one young man who I really had nothing to do with and he came, this is only of recent times, and one of his projects which maybe five other students were involved in was in educating other, other students and, and staff. And one activity he led which made lots of teachers cry mm -hmm. and it was so good because while they first created this program and he had exercises within it of talking to young people about especially what's happening in Afghanistan and strategic parts of it, but talking about his family as refugees and he, brought a, he explained that six family members left Afghanistan in 2000 with one little backpack and a thermos. And he asked many groups, well, we did it with about three groups of about 120 each, so his peers and adults. He asked young people and the teachers, what would, if you had to leave this very moment, what would you take and why? So I had teachers coming and students coming crying, saying, oh, my God, Nadia, that was ma magnificent. That's the best session because it was so personable. And also at the end of that, the students who were part of that group had already created with local MPs petitions and letters mm. so they were all ready to have them signed. I think that was probably the most powerful thing of recent times for the school community but also for that young person um, Morteza is his name, great name, Morteza. He, he said in his reflection uh, for me, he and for this group, he said that the opportunity to be involved in something that was so person-centred yeah. made his time at school. Wow. That was the most critical thing of all his education, having his voice and his family voice heard. So that was probably... For, and for staff, that was the way to go, oh, my God, these kids could really do it. 
it's oh, that's. I mean, I can feel goosebumps just thinking about that moment. You know, like we've all get, we all have those moments. Yeah, it's tingling. It's tingling because it's it's something about humanizing the system, and I think all the examples we're hearing here is about how do we do that, and that means elevating the role of a student so that they that we give them a platform to actually not just be heard, but to be able to choose and then to be able to co-author with us. And and I think it's because they they are not just exercises that they're doing. Yeah. The, the projects that some of the young people are doing currently have so much more meaning to them. They're not prescribed by me. They're not dictated by the teachers. The, the information that they're doing now on respect and sexual education mm-hmm. and consent and gender is so powerful for them that they can see that they're making a change in lots of people's lives. And that's why they're so committed. Yeah. So it's great. Fantastic. Yeah, you don't need to wave a carrot <laughs> to do that. This is this is kind of the deep, both inner and external kind of convergence, Charlie, that, that we've spoken about on, on previous lessons. I might go to you, Renee. Similarly, what surprised you in this journey so far? I think... I think for our, our students had their aha moment when they were able to create their own definition about what agency was and then you can use that to drive forward. Mm. And then I think what surprised me was when our staff had the aha moment was viewing the case studies of students actually living out that definition. And I think our staff then had the aha moment of what student agency was because oh. it was contextualised. It was what our students were saying it was. It wasn't what a definition or, you know, research that it was what our students were saying and so it appeared to make more sense and so it was really it was a staffing that I wasn't necessarily looking forward to because I didn't know how it was going to go Um, but it was really invigorating and it was really exciting to see the staff have that moment and then the conversations that came out of that and the thinking about where to next and it was like (laughs) we're actually you know and it was our students that have created that moment for our staff wow Wonderful. Aaron, reflection from you? I think something that surprised me, there's been many surprises, and for me, they're like defining moments, things that I just look back on and they just give such joy. Uh, but we had a year six boy during that time where we were preparing for the first when I had the privilege of uh, helping to work with all those who are interested in photography. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a boy, he, he'd gone through school, uh, he was in year six at this point, uh, and I think he had many challenges and many difficulties. And so going through school, I imagine for him, he would have always gone through from the start to where he was, just seeing other people succeed and maybe have mountaintop experiences. And he probably had a, a lot of assessments and tests which just showed the deficiencies that he had. And uh, so he chose to do photography and uh, he had a real love for nature and so he put those two things together mm-hmm. and he borrowed a camera from me and he went out just on our property at our school and took a range of photos and came back and I was immediately blown away by the, the quality of the photos but also what he'd chosen to capture maybe things that a lot of people might just walk past and not even notice but he managed to create these beautiful images mm-hmm. and so uh, I gave him some feedback too because one of the images was great but I thought it could be Better. So I gave him some feedback and he took that feedback, went out and came back in the photo that he produced. Probably one of my favourite pictures that's hanging up still at our school to this day. And so we had a festival um, that followed on from all of that preparation. We had parents, we had uh, yeah, just people from the community come through and, and see the work. And 
and he was able to stand next to his work and people would come up and just tell him how much they loved it. Yeah. In his reflection, he's talked, you know, I had to help him to write. A teacher at staff member had to help him to write and scribe what the titles of his pictures were, help him with writing his name. And then for his reflection, he had to sit down and interview him and take what he'd said and put it into a form that people could read and hear what he was saying. But the, the thing that came out was this joy that came from people coming up and seeing his work and experiencing it. And I think perhaps for him, it was the first time that he'd had a mountaintop experience in his whole school. And, and it was just it was just so wonderful to see that. And people came through and, and it's not just like they thought, oh, uh, here's a child that's maybe struggled, but they've created this beautiful work. As people came through and they saw his work and they said, come and buy his work. And so I had to replace a number of the pictures because people purchased them. <laughs> You know, and so, you know, amongst other stories, just that came from that. That was just one that just really stood out. Gosh, that's inspiring stuff, Aaron. Nadia, I'm just going to ask you a final, well, as we go around, a final question to each of you. What advice would you give to a school, an educator, a team, a community that wants to undertake this work? Time is important. Don't rush it. Um, But in saying that, jump jumping your students have more ability, more creative thinking than you probably could ever imagine. So give them a go. Thank you so much, Nadia. Uh, Renee, let's go to you. Tell us about what piece of advice would you like to share? I think it's around getting students involved as early as you can and using their understanding to, to drive what you're doing. Um, but also then to get their feedback around what you're doing as you're implementing you know, this idea of student agency, get their feedback and use that to drive the work. It's mm, fantastic. Aaron? So I think uh, what I've learned through all of this is that experience is actually a great teacher. And I think just as um, the others have said that to jump in, to try it out, uh, I'd invite you to test it out. Sometimes we'll wait to find, hear people telling us enough stories to say, this is this works, you should do it, and only move when that's the case. But I think just to be brave and courageous and to see for yourself what emerges. Mm. I don't know about you, Charlie. I'm pretty inspired sitting here. What do you want to share with us from some of these narratives that we've just heard? Um, well, I think that um, <clears throat> quite a lot of what we've talked about is really about stepping into new spaces um where we're not sure what's going to happen and which is both scary and full of potential and so these are sort of spaces i would say of structured uncertainty so when uh, aaron's talking about a teacher as a belayer that's sort of structured uncertainty isn't it there's some safety there's some procedures there's some skills but it's also a rock face and you know could go in different kinds of ways and so it's about stepping in but not doing it stupidly and learning as you're doing it and as renee says about seeing that the the young people are there with you they're helping they're part of it they're it's that relationship that will get you through and what will come out of that if you do that properly and well is much much stronger relationships and much greater capacity to then take on other things and to take another step and to open another door whereas if you don't take that step you'll never open another door um because you'll be stuck in a world of control and a world of you know one person knowing and the other not knowing and so on and so forth 
So what's really impressed me about the schools is their willingness to take and to, you know, to um, help one another, teachers to help students, students to help teachers take that step um, and not be scared. Oh, it's just, I just wonder about this piece on trust as well, Charlie. If trust must come from some sort of uncertainty. It comes from coping with uncertainty. Routine does not generate trust. Um, knowing a timetable doesn't generate trust. Trust comes from when there's a risk that you might be let down and actually you're not. Trust is generated when there's a there's a, a possibility that your trust might be betrayed and that's not betrayed. And actually something bigger and greater happens as a result of it. So that's, that's I think, where you create these relationships of trust rather than control, transmission, instruction, delivery. Um, that, that you have to put something, you have to put something sort of at stake, I suppose. And if you do that in the right way, you're rewarded hugely, it seems to me, is the lesson of these schools. Oh, goodness me. Fantastic conversation. An enormous thank you uh, to the fantastic three practitioners that have joined us for this conversation today. Thank you very much, Aaron. Thank you, Nadia. And thank you, Renee. And as always, Charlie, thank you for your insights as well. This has been lesson four of, uh, of this podcast series, Students Bringing Agency to Life. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you join us next time. 